All right, that takes us back to 1965. Lee Morgan and his band of merry men. <laughs> the title track called Cornbread. Uh, Herbie Hancock is on piano. Billy Higgins on drums. Jackie McLean on alto sax. Hank Mobley on tenor sax. And Larry Ridley on bass. This was the title track of Morgan's 1965 album of the same name. This is Lead Stories. I'm Eutrice Lead. And today, I'm going to test you. And you're going to test yourself and see whether you cut it or not. All right, sorry. It's, it's questions. You know you like questions. And I have some questions for you that will test your knowledge and your political skill and your, uh, basically, your how well you're keeping up with the, the times and all of that stuff. You're going to be hearing some noise all around me today are workmen who do a lot of things, but the whole complex is under, uh, re, re, what do you call it, rehabilitation. They're doing lots of work to clean things up and whatnot, so... And of course, any time something is to happen, they all gather right by my window. I don't know what it is. Is there some kind of sign that they they have that others can't see? I, I didn't see any sign that says, "Hey, let's go by you, Tracy's window," <laughs> and and do our talking, our arguing, or whatever. <laughs> I'm so used to it now. I use it as a kind of indicator. Oh, they, they're going to be working soon. But in the meantime, they're debating whatever it is they're debating. So uh, please bear with the noise. It's uh, good noise. All right. 888-874-4888. Let's get started. Let's see whether you, you got what it takes today. I'm going to test you. And you will test yourself. It's not, it's not that kind of test where you have to get the pieces correct. It is more of an analytical test. There are no straight answers to any of these questions. So I was kind. I was very, very kind. I built in a lot of elastic, a lot of latitude. So you have uh, some room to finesse and finagle. <laughs> if you don't know something, you can finesse. You can finesse the facts. Or you can, I'll give you permission to, you know, kind of move around it a little bit. And you get extra marks for doing it in a very, uh, very nice way, a very uh, diplomatic way. 888-874-4888. Do we have any takers yet? You know, I, I thought that my crowd was a very brave crowd. You don't have to know anything in advance. You're ready, always ready. And you can take on whatever comes your way. So, what's, what's the delay? We're kind of slowing up here. I did this exercise with just you in mind. We should be ready. You can't just be empty of any information about anything. You should be ready to participate in any discussion at any time. You should know at least a couple of facts that you can use and maximize to your advantage. And people say, wow, she's really smart. 
she is really a smart person. <laughs> they don't know that you massaged two packs and made them look like 22, but that's a special art. 888-874-4888. Okay, who do we have up first? Do I see David from San Francisco? Are you there? Okay, that's not there. So I'm waiting for you. 888-874-4888. Things are getting pretty tense. And today, by the way, happens to be the first of a long procession of funerals and burials. Uh, and it's a sad thing, but we also have to discuss that, but not now. We will discuss that. And we will come to some really interesting conclusions once we start looking into the Uvalde, uh, Texas mass killings. Uh, and taking a particular, a particular angle to it that nobody has discussed so far. I'm waiting. I, I was waiting for somebody to, to start it, but it hasn't been started. And it's a very important point to make, but nobody has made it. All right. Come on now. 888-874-4888. Who's going to be up first? Let's go. This is not the time to be, uh, you know, hesitant. You jump at the chance. This is a thing that kind of puzzles me. You have an opportunity, but you're so reluctant to take it sometimes. Why? you ashamed? Are you afraid? What, what is the hesitancy about? We're all friends. We're all friends here. And you shouldn't feel so, you know, put upon simply because you're answering a question. You should be able to just dive in because you're supposed to have a working library in your head anyway. You're supposed to have that. Why? Because one assumes that you're reading, consistently reading, or constantly reading, whichever you prefer. You have been reading for a while. You have been thinking about things. And you are integrating new information into your information bank. So you're not a vacuum. You are possessed of information and the ability to analyze and tell us what, what you see, what you are thinking. And literally teach. But when you hesitate and you give us the impression that you'd rather not, you'd rather hide un under a car or something, become invisible, you deny yourself the, the privilege and the opportunity to make yourself known and to make your ideas known and to argue your points well and develop those skills. Uh, so... What you want to do is when an opportunity presents itself, I mean, you don't have to pay to be on air. Not at all. But you can give some kind of a voice to the issue and see how it turns out. You may make fantastic impressions or, you know, you may fizzle, but that's life. Alex from New Jersey, you're on the air. Okay, um, I'm sorry, I missed the, the first part of the show. So are we just going to um, sustain our argument and make some points about it? Well, no, because this is a special exercise in which 
the idea is to train yourself to react and build your argument right there on the spot. Okay. So what do you want me to oh, do? Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, so I'm going to read you a question. Okay. Um, pick a number between one, two, three, four. Pick a number between one and five. Uh, three. What? Uh, three. Three. Okay. So this is your question. Is democracy, as we know it, sustainable? Have we outgrown democracy? Or has democracy outgrown us? How do you address that question? Okay. Is democracy sustainable? Or we have we outgrown it? Yes. Because you have the court system. You have have room so you can embellish on your thing. We're not expecting just one word from you. We want want some full information from you. Democracy is sustainable because we have uh, a court system to to hear other people's side of the story. So you can't just say that um, that we don't want to be fair to everybody because we have court hearings, we have a uh, justice system to sustain someone's point of view with evidence. So I don't think there is a disappearance of democracy anytime soon. So your whole argument is that democracy is itself self-sustaining because everybody has a right to have their voice heard yes but does that mean that everybody everybody gets his or her voice heard no okay so now you have to address in the system (laughs) there are flaws within the system that is true but over time it should improve because people have to understand that if someone's voice is not heard, then that is not a definition of democracy. Democracy means everybody's views will count, and you have to do it in a very, I don't know, like a poised way. You can't just be killing people or, you know, having a war and, you know, or anything like that without justifying the reasons for it. And, if someone commits an act of wrong against someone, they have to stand up for what they did. or And they have a right to have their views. They can't just repress a person's point of view. If there is repression, which there is over time, people will have a way of expressing that, and eventually the system will have to consider that. Um I'm not saying that democracy in itself is perfect because there is no perfect system. You can have you can have all kinds of isms, but none of the isms are perfect in themselves. They're just a system of a way of just self-regulating society. You can't have um, humans are flawed, so you're not going to have a perfect system where everyone is going to have an equal say. Some people that have more money, unfortunately, have more say. Some people that have less money will have less say and they have less time. They have less time to think about what they are standing up for. And they will have less vote for what, you know, the society they live in. Because society is not fair, which is an opinion because, you know, you can, you know, I don't know. They did in early societies, Greek societies, you know, there weren't uh, women and children voting. And there were also other problems like they didn't know, like, uh, you know, uh, a time capsule. Like if you fill a a pitcher of water, that there's more time for the person on top of the, that has a filled pitcher compared to an empty pitcher. So if even if you say, 
everyone has a fair chance. The person that has a filled pitcher actually had more time than someone when the pitcher of water got emptied, and that's how they decided that someone has a right to speak. You know? Um, not everyone will get education. So even if they could speak, they would be discriminated against speaking because they're going to be excluded out. Um, so it's not a perfect system. Of course it's a flawed system. There's no, there is no perfect way of deriving, you know, someone's, uh, you know, fair, you know, fair say to their argument because there's always going to be variables in the way that are not considered to why someone has, you know, uh, a right to say this is wrong or this is right for my group of people because there's always going to be flaws in the system. But yes, yes. Are you sure, are you, sure you understand yeah. what democracy is? Are you sure you, <laughs> you, you're telling us what it is? I'm pretty sure that democracy is where society has, um, society has a way of dealing with problems within it without it going into like some kind of anarchy where things have to be civil enough. I'm thinking that this is the last thing we're talking about is the shooting. Um, so is it, am, I, am I not answering the question right, or are you saying I don't understand the question? Well, you, you're kind of being very general, and we're not getting a picture from you as to what, how you define it. You're giving, you know, kind of examples, and you're going broad with the definition, but I would like you to be as specific as you can about the term. What do you mean by democracy? Democracy. I would I would say that <laughs> you you would have to really uh, I would say that the view is that you would have to have your your views expressed and not not be shunned from allowed to express it. That and that would be democracy because if you didn't have that you would have a system where you would have, you know, people just trying to take the law into their hands. And that wouldn't be democracy in my view. Well okay. You have to work on this. That's your homework. You gotta work on okay. the definition of democracy. What it is exactly that you mean when you use that word, what are we supposed to understand that you mean by that? Uh, but otherwise in that, you did a great job. And thank you for getting us started today. Okay, no problem. <laughs> Thanks again for calling. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, Muhammad from New York, you're on the air. Good afternoon, Eutrice. Hope all is well. Good afternoon. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to take number three because I'd like to expand just a little bit more on that, that number three. with <laughs> democracy as well? Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. What is, let me read the question so other people could appreciate what you were addressing. Is democracy as we know it sustainable? Have we outgrown democracy or has democracy outgrown us? Okay, democracy as we know it in this particular country is not sustainable. From my understanding, my perspective, democracy is majority rule. And now what you see throughout the United States is the Republicans trying to stop people from voting. And that's because they fear that they are no longer a majority. So what they are doing, and this is the title of my book, America on the Road to Fascism. The people with the money, the oligarchs, the plutocrats, they really select who's going to be run for office and who gets in office. And they give them the money. And what they do is 
They're going to have to go to fascism, and it's already started, because they are no longer in a majority. And okay, hold on right there. Hold right there. What you're giving us is an overview of a fight. It's not You're not defining what democracy is. You're telling us uh, what part side A is doing as opposed to side B. But that's not the question. Okay. I'll read the question again so you, you can latch on to a couple of phrases or words in it. Is democracy as we know it sustainable? Have we outgrown democracy? Or has democracy outgrown us? Democracy as we know it in this particular country is not sustainable. uh, Democracy is basically majority rule. In this particular country, in the early days, you had to be a property owner to have a vote. And as people fought along the way, they was able to get voting rights for everyone. The Republicans, the oligarchs, the plutocrats, they are no longer a majority. They see that they're going to be, when they look at the people coming to this country, they see that in a, well, they're already a minority. So they cannot go along with democracy because they'll be voted out and they're the ones with the money. And they're making the choices of who they want to support. And just to give you an example, you look at APAC. APAC provides a lot of money, and Cynthia McKinney. That what is enjoyed. what is APAC? What is APAC? APAC is that uh, it's an Israeli lobby group. The American Israeli Political Action Committee. Right. Okay. Okay, that's what it is. And okay, Cynthia McKinney. From, I think it was Georgia, if I'm not mistaken, she refused to sign that pact. And what they did is they funded her particular opponent. She said, look, I'm not signing no pact to no foreign country. I represent the people in my particular district, not the people in a foreign country. And what they did is they funded her. No, opponent. you're not answering the question at all now. You're, you're way out. No, it's. I don't want you to finish because you're on the wrong track. You're giving us now news snippets that you're putting in there. I want, I'm not satisfied that you have sufficiently addressed the big question, which I read twice already. Let someone else else talk. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Ed from Queens, you're on the air. Hello, Latrice. Good afternoon. Hello. Good afternoon. Okay. <laughs> What's the number that you want today? Oh, I've always been partial to, to the number five. <laughs> to five. Okay. Have you ever switched political parties or been reluctant to openly identify with a party and why? Okay, have I ever switched political parties or been openly reluctant to identify with a party? Uh, yes. yes. Yes, when I was younger and my first experience was the understanding of the different forms of government, representation, being democratic, socialist, communist. I was partial to the Communist Party uh, when, I was very, when I was younger and first became politically aware, like around 13, 14. I was partial to the Communist Party. I was partial to militant movements. I identified myself as a black nationalist. Um, To a certain extent, I still do today. I am resonant to identify myself with any part of this political system because I feel this system is flawed beyond repair. And now I, I stand as an independent. I look at issues and I ascertain what is right in my personal opinion to my personal moral standard and I try to advocate for what I feel is the what what I feel is the right issue, which might not be correct all the time, but I always try to keep an open mind. Do you feel good about that? Yes, I do. I don't I think it's I think 
is the most honest way that I can be personally, seeing how fluid the situation in this country is, has been, and is more becoming. And uh, the lack of, the lack of what I feel, the lack of general intelligence by the masses at large, because democracy is a form of government where the power is vested in the people either directly or through representation. And I believe the people in this country have opted out of that responsibility. They've, uh, like, uh, like Reginald Franklin said, the price of freedom is vigilance. And the people in this country have opted out for whatever reason, whatever plot, whatever conspiracy you want to say, enacted it or manifested it. I believe that the large amount of people in this country have opted out of the intelligent pursuit of responsible governmental control. So I, I, I'm an independent. I don't allow well, that brings me to the end of the program today, and uh, Ed will take over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Very good answers. Very good answers, Ed, and I thank you for them because you 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 didn't mince words. There was no uh, you didn't give people an easy exit. And so you went straight ahead to the question and you gave us reasons for why you changed in your political perceptions and actions. That's great. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Gwen from New York, you're on the air. Hi, Trace. Hello. Um, hi. <laughs> I missed the the very top of the show, so I didn't. Oh, I didn't so here's the thing: you you the question you, you asking. pick a number, you pick a number from one to five. You don't okay. know the question, and I'm not going to tell you until you pick a number. Okay, so I think four wasn't taken yet, so I think I'll try four. All right, so let's go to four. What do you see as the greatest threat or threats or impediments? to American democracy? Uh, I, th- I, I think the greatest threat to American democracy is the transition of, of our government into a new world, a new world government that is uh, currently being uh, put forth by a small group of extraordinarily wealthy people, oligarchs, about six of them. And I'm very afraid of what's already happened to the country due to their enormous influence. And I think that, um, I think that if America doesn't, and I actually think all countries, and I don't, I don't know how to tell this to people, wake up and, and start getting to work. I mean, we're, we're already trapped by these people because, uh, for example, Klaus Schwab has uh, a group of people, politicians that he puts together, sets them forth in the rest of the world to be the politicians, which means that there is not a lot of room left for uh, you know people that are just regular candidates. In other words, you have to be chosen from the top first. Then you can run, and it looks like nobody can really get in to even uh, participate in government anymore unless you're a part of this group. And that's really, really dangerous. And uh, so I think that the the most um, threatening thing we have to all world governments is this new type of government that's being run by uh, by people that have the most amount of money. And what they've done is they bought every they bought every kind of corporation underneath of them to send all that wealth basically to six, six um, corporations, which they, they then dictate the policies. And if you don't think they're dictating, dictating the policies, then just take a look at how this pandemic has been run. It's been run well, what on, would uh, you say? What would you say if I were to challenge your view by saying, mm-hmm. People hate to see vacuums, and they have an automatic response to vacuums, and that is to fill it. 
if mm-hmm. the people are looked at, I mean, just the general people, okay, are determined to be uninterested, this is not what they want to do. And they leave wide open the opportunity for others to come in. And they do. Who's to blame them? Well, first of all, I have to say there has never been a vacuum, not a real vacuum. There's been a vacuum created by the the cynical um, attitude that people have adapted watching people put into government that are supposed to represent them. And they realize a vacuum isn't a vacuum a vacuum, no matter how it's created. If you have a vacuum, you have a vacuum. You do have a vacuum, but but I think it does matter how it's created. And I think it matters because if people were able to represent politicians or leaders that, that were sincere, then I think there would be a great deal more excitement for people to be involved. They, they, they would get back involved. They would be involved again. But I think that with the way things are, most people say it's, it's, it doesn't matter whether I vote or not. This is what most people say. It doesn't matter if I vote or not because nothing's going to change. My vote won't change anything. And there's, uh, there's also this uh, self de- self-destruction that's going on there, too. There's this, you know, even, even many people that voted for Trump were voting for him as a middle finger to the system. They, they, they didn't like him, but they wanted to give it, give it to the system because they're so frustrated and angry with the system uh, that's been destroyed by a lot of people who, uh, people that have a lot of money and people who have decided to capitalize on vacuums, as, as you were saying. And, uh, and they have. And it's, it's, it's creating a weaker and weaker backbone for, for everybody in the world and also fear. I just want to say one other thing, too. I heard on the radio that I thought was very compelling the other day. Um, most people in the world don't own too much courage these days. They, they don't show a lot of courage. But courage can't happen unless you have morality. And we seem to have traded morality in for compliance and, and a, a way of, 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 of a system looking at, look, you, you have to go to work and, 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 and have a certain kind of job and, and you know, fit in and, and don't fuck the system. The most important thing you have to do is to be quiet, get in line, and be, uh, be compliant. That is the most important thing that we tell everybody in the world. Everybody in the world, line up and put that shot in your own. Don't you dare ask what's in it. Now, people with a brain in their head, a lot of people with a brain in their head that are, are not living that, are asking themselves, well, why should I put something in my arm when I don't even know what it is? I mean, doesn't that just make common sense? So I think that we have, uh, we, uh, we're definitely a golden calf worshiping society. That's what we put ahead of everything else. And, you know, I hate to say it, but it tells you in the good book, and that I'm not a, you know, born again anything, but there's a philosophy that says if you bow down to, you know, false idols and golden calf, you're probably going to have a problem in the end. And so we do have a problem now. And, and uh, the people that are considered the freaks of society are the, are the very people that, that have been courageous and stood up for us. Uh, you know, you, you have Julianne, uh, um, I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. I'm on the spot and I can't remember his name. But many, many people that are taking their, a risk of their own life to be whistleblowers. These are the people that are getting thrown in jail. And, and yet in America, we have laws to protect whistleblowers. And instead of protecting them, we put them in jail. They were, you know, so, so we're at a, a crossroads here, but not just in America. And I have to say again, that as much as I hate to say this, it almost doesn't make sense to, to uh, uh, run for an office these days. Because unless you're part of a group or unless you have some dirt on you where you can be controlled, and I mean, you know, really controlled and we have a candidate right now who's so easily discovered his dirt but that they backed him up they bankrolled him the big shots because they know how easy it is they how easy it will be to take him out if he doesn't comply with what they want to have put in and you know it's really uh who knows what he's going to put in but he's he's going to play ball with the big shots and we live in a very poor neighborhood here which puts the people who live here very very much at risk of losing their apartments and uh and even their lives. So, you know, this is the system that we have bowed down to. We also decided not to try to fight back. 
and now we're victims in it. Hmm. Well, I thank you for doing one very important thing, and that is you looked at the causes of the problems from both sides. And I think you you did a very good job of being even-handed about it. You're not letting anybody off the hook here. Although you're using the realities that you're talking about to illustrate the point that we, the people, the people who tend to be the ones complaining, are also the people who are not doing very much to overcome these obstacles. Very well done today. Thank you. You did great. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Let's see who else we have. Henry from Chicago. Greetings, Tree. How you doing, Henry? Oh, I'm hanging in there trying to get over this cough that I, I picked up the last uh, week or so. Uh, not COVID, but, you know, that's a good thing. So. <laughs> well, good for you that it's not COVID. Yeah. What What is yeah, your I mean, number? What is your number? All right. All right. So uh, let's see. Throw me the deuce, number two. Number two. Mm-hmm. What, in your view, is the purpose of a government? The purpose of a government. So, I guess when you talk about the the evolution of civilization, uh, governments basically protect a well, you know, just the you know just the the basic meaning of it. It's supposed to protect the people uh, that is under this particular government. Uh, it is there to regulate uh, how they should conduct themselves, regulate the resources, and also to uh, protect them from uh, basically outside influences or outside aggressions. Uh, that may come and attack that particular uh, nation, you know, or state that this government uh, is is in control of. So when you said to protect people from outside aggression, inside aggression is okay? Well, that's why the government also, you know, like I stated before, it's also to regulate uh, the, uh, the conduct of its citizens within this government. So that, that's, that's kind of a form of internal protection as well. And in this manner, this purpose that government now has, where, do, do they, where does the government derive the power to unilaterally exercise uh, control? Well, uh, typically, if you're talking about uh, a modern sort of republic, quasi-democracy, uh, it, it typically is from the people. Um, I don't know if they're, you know, if it's being practiced in a lot of states and nations like that, but the government's power basically derives from the people because the people basically... Uh, you know, they pick through an election or, you know, whatever type of system that they use to select uh, their their leaders. Uh, now, in, you know, in times, say, before, you know, hundreds of years ago, you know, when you had a monarchy, uh, it was basically selected by bloodlines because, you know, back in the old days, bloodlines were more important because of the fact that you had a certain type of accepted uh, classism that uh, was going on in those civilizations. And so those were the leaders that were to be chosen, the ones who were in a particular bloodline. So we're talking about kings and queens and, you know, dukes and stuff like that. 
And then in some indigenous civilizations, uh, those were basically selected by elders. So the elders were the ones who were selecting the, uh, selecting the leadership. Could I ask you to use your own criteria and give us, from your perspective, what you think of modern-day government? I think modern-day government and using this one uh, that we're in called the United States uh, are basically are basically practicing far from what it was originally supposed to do. Uh, you know, what I, you know, when I just spoke a few minutes ago in regards to governments are supposed to be protecting the people, it doesn't, our government doesn't do that. Uh, generally it's just basically protecting, uh, the interests of a certain group of people. <laughs> and that goes, kind of be, you know, kind of, you know, kind of certain, certain basic uh, groups of people, whether it be the oligarchs, whether it be rich people, whether it be white people, whether it be men, it's, you know, it, it only protects a section of people and it doesn't protect the overall, uh, the overall uh, group of people that resides within this government. Do the people have a vested interest in government? Do they have some reason to be concerned about government and protecting government in the way that they expect government to protect them? Um, hmm. Yes, I think, I think the people do have a vested interest in protecting government. Now, when I say government, I'm talking about um, I'm talking about the concept of it, uh, which I've just explained. Not the particular okay. people that run the government, not the system that these people create, which is another conversation as well. But if you're living in this land, you know, you have to have a form of government. <clears throat> Unfortunately, our government is not benefiting the people. And it is because of the systems that have been created with the leadership. But like I said, the, the principles and the concept of government are way beyond what it was intended to do for the people. So yes, they have a vested interest to bring back what the, what the, what the, what the, what the intended principles of government was supposed to do for the people. How do they do that? Well, I, I, you know what? It's, it's, it's interesting you ask that question because <laughs> I can uh, I can say a lot of things. I know I don't have that much time to do it, <laughs> but um, I guess we can start. I guess it, it basically just basically starts by uh, by resisting uh, certain government initiatives that we all know is not against the interests of the people. Do those who comprise the government, do they need to be re-educated about what government should be? Um, no, I don't think, I don't think they, I don't think they should be. I think uh, most people who are in leadership roles in the government uh, are intentional in what they do. I don't think it's a it's a it, I don't think it's an ignorance thing. I don't think they know how to you know how the, the the principles of government should be. I think their intention is to get in there to obtain power to you know benefit uh, you know like I said certain groups of people. So I don't think there there needs to be a re-education process because they know enough to get that leadership role. So if if it, uh, for me that kind of qualifies them that they know what government is supposed to be, but they don't do it 
in a way where it benefits the people. Do you think there's an automatic trade-off that people interpret government to mean? What do I deliver as a leader to my party? And it's to the party to which I owe allegiance. Are you referring to, like, political parties? Yes. Okay. So, I guess in, in, in regards to a true sense of a political leader, the trade-offs, I guess for me, the trade-offs are not worth it because when you're talking about being elected by, uh, by a certain group of people, and being in control or, say, being responsible for a certain sector, sector of, 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 of area when you're elected, not everybody is part of your political party. So you have to also take their, uh, take their uh, needs and necessities into account as well. But it doesn't have to be at the expense of other people because of the fact that See, this is what happens when, in our modern-day society, politicians are basically, you know, trading off uh, certain, uh, they're trading off or, or, or basically doing things for certain people and at the expense of others. And especially uh, when you're talking about their constituents, uh, because when I look at when politicians try to do certain things, uh, for a certain group of people, it's either it's either not substantive, or they're doing this at the detriment of another group of people. So, take for example the you know the abortion issue, and we see that with the Supreme Court possibly rescinding Roe versus Wade, this is going to um, basically, uh, uh, knock down or, 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 or basically, um, kind of, uh, give the detriments of freedoms to, 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 to women who, you know, want to have that choice of whether I have, you know, this baby or not. So it, it basically limits the freedoms of women to, you know, to do what may be necessary for them, you know, if they want to, you know, have this particular freedom. So, no, I don't think the trade-offs are, 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 are uh, well, at least from what I understand with modern-day politicians, I don't think the trade-offs are worth it. Hmm. Well, thank you, Sir Henry. You <laughs> did a good job. Well, thank you. You're welcome. And that brings me to a general note of thanks. See, I told you, this is stuff you should be able to do. And don't hesitate about it. Put yourself out there. And your thoughts and your attitudes and your beliefs. And defend them. Be prepared to defend them. And be prepared to take apart what is considered the norm. What is normally thought? You don't have to accept it. But it would be great if you could break it down both for yourself and for others, so that we could appreciate the logic that you're using, the arguments that you're using. On the whole, we had a good crop today, and which brings me back to my, my original complaint, if I could call it that. Don't wait. When we start programs like this, jump in. And give it a shot. Be brave. Nobody's going to beat you up. I won't allow that at all. Everybody has something to put into the pot, to add to the flavor of the pot. And you should think of yourself as being part of the whole flavor. You know, you have something to contribute. Some people may take issue. That's okay. We're all grown folk. 
We could we could handle people disagreeing, but not being disagreeable. You see? So you did a good job today, everybody. Thank you for that. I congratulate you for that. And I encourage you to keep that courage up. Don't shy away from engaging in discussion, including and perhaps especially discussions where you are likely to disagree or people are likely to disagree with you. Once you make your, your statement clear and you back it up, people are going to be very careful about approaching you to attack what you say. Um, I'm very proud of, of the listeners of this program. You make a good effort, and we can hear it. We can hear it. And we'll get better and better at it. Where at the drop of a hat, you can construct a total argument, complete from point A to point Z. And it would sound natural and normal, and you would make sense. But give yourself permission. Give yourself permission to occupy space. Occupy intellectual space. Give yourself permission to occupy some space. And, you know, broaden your view. Do some more reading. And some more thinking. And push yourself. Don't allow yourself to be the same self tomorrow that you were today. Please make it a habit that something tomorrow is going to be very different about you. And that is how you grow. You make mistakes and all. That's okay. We don't care about that. Everybody makes mistakes. But when you concentrate on a goal and the goal is really to be as I said occupy space intellectual space it's yours to occupy go ahead and occupy it make sense make logical sense people begin to listen and reconsider even their own opinions so thank you so much you did great we'll try this again sometime bye bye 